Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the fifth episode of the Mind Poppers podcast. Can't believe it's at five episodes already, to be honest. I thought they would have cancelled our asses by now, 100%. Um, it just doesn't seem like we've been doing this five, you know, what is it, like five weeks already? I guess time flies when you're a real piece of shit, huh? Um, some housekeeping before we get into the body of this episode. And this episode is definitely, I would say, the darkest episode definitely the darkest mind poppers we've looked at so far it gets pretty dark pretty nasty and I know ever at the start of every episode I'm like oh guys this is this is the worst this is the worst but definitely so far I think this episode is the darkest and it's definitely the most disturbing exploring taboos that we haven't looked at already um before we get into that just some housekeeping before we get into the mind mind poppers that I prepared this episode um quarantine still yes we're still on lockdown it's, we're still going through it i'm not going to go into it what i did do however was i bought a razor now i couldn't get my hands on an electric razor like a hair clippers anywhere you know like boots amazon and all that it was just it wasn't happening because everybody has taken to cutting their own hair at the moment because unless you are a barber you know which you're fine if you're a barber you're fine i've seen my barber friends like cut their own hair and it's turning out great but for the rest of us, it's really kind of like, wow, we have to kind of do this by ourselves. Um, so my friend Kate, she works down in a, in a chemist and she had a, a razor behind the counter or whatever. I don't know how long it's been sitting there or whatever. Let me tell you, it's not like, it's it's not something you'd see in a barber shop, really. Um, you wouldn't even fucking shear sheep with it, if I'm being honest. Um, it was just a cheap like Remington G3 if you must know. So I took that to my own head and fuck me anyway. I didn't like fuck my own hair up. And I didn't know what I was doing right. So I turned the razor on and I put it to my head. And I was like fuck it. I was like because my hair was so so overgrown already. Like I said in last week's episode I was starting to look like Colleen Nolan. Um, so I put the razor to my head to the side of my head. I was like look let's just see what happens. I just do a small little stroke with a razor um just to get a feel for how much it's going to take off or whatever um and oh my god bald straight away stripped me of all my hair big lined on the side of my head and then it wasn't until much later on that I realized that uh, on the side of this the head that you put on the razor it had like one two three four like numbers going up to ten for the I don't know I know I guess like the shortness or whatever the technical term is for you to cut your hair I did not know that that existed do you know I just thought it was just a razor, you just do it, you know, maybe just like, the pressure is what determines how long it's going to be, but no. So I gave my head like a zero at the sides, so I had to commit to it, and I really, really fucked it up. The hair looks sick right now, and not sick as in like, damn that, damn bro, that's a sick cut. Sick as in, oh damn, she is in a hospice, and we don't know how long she has left. <laughs> 
Oh, but yeah, no, I, I kind of, and you know what, I even did the, the slit in the eyebrow, and I'm feeling really rough right now, like, you want one of these, you'll get it, you know, I'm feeling like, uh, I'm feeling a little feisty, I won't lie, um, but someone from work called down, um, and tried to, like, fix it up the best he could, and he's going to come back down tomorrow and, uh, and try to sort it out again, um, again, that's not breaking social distancing for any of you fucking narcs out there. Um, because we work together, so we are exposed to each other for more than 15 minutes at a time, and what have you. The hair is under control at the moment. It's a learning curve. And you know what I have to say? There is something about shaving your head, like that kind of like, like I understand why Brittany did it back in 2007. Not like to go back and glamorize her mental breakdown, but hey, how are you? You know, that's where I am right now. But just seeing your hair go, it's like, okay, nothing to worry about ever again. Do you know? That feeling of freedom, like a part of me just wants to shave my entire head. Entire head. Not have to worry about like, oh, my hair looks greasy or the wind has my hair all fucked up or whatever. There is something liberating about shaving your hair. So I completely get it. But I'm going to get it back on track. There hasn't been a whole lot in like pop culture at the moment that has been, I don't know, getting my attention. Like this week, I suppose the most interesting ha- the thing that popped up for me I saw on social media was, you know, Jeffree Star. Most of you should be well acquainted with Jeffree Star at this stage. She's a very, very successful brand of cosmetics and makeup and um, very controversial star and kind of like came up from like MySpace and then kind of like be- now kind of like one of the most prominent figures on YouTube and what have you and has loads of feuds and what have you with the likes of Kylie Jenner and like all the big makeup brands and all that. So he um, releases like, you know, these kind of like palettes, these really well, well put together, polished palettes. And, you know, he, he really has shaken up like the music or the um, the beauty industry, the makeup industry. And it's really kind of like lit a fire under them and which was, you know, more than welcome, even though I'm not someone who is involved in any way in the makeup industry or what have you. But to see these big beauty companies finally, you know, getting a stirrup was nice. But so anyway, he's come out with a new palette um, recently. I think it, definitely within the last week called the Cremated Palette, which he does like loads of like dark brown, silver kind of metallic tones, which was fine. It was a fine. I mean, it looks good. Everything he does looks fantastic. Do you know, he is a master at packaging and present or presentation and all that. And he has to keep himself to a high standard because, you know, part of his shtick, a part of his gig is um, absolutely tearing the arse out of these other big makeup companies who you know are charging top dollar for the products when they're really coming out with a with a shit product um, like if you guys remember back in the early days when Kylie Cosmetics first came out um, I can't remember she had something with some fucking brush or anyway or I, 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 again I don't know um, but he did a review on his channel and it was like yeah this is a pile of shite um, and she got loads of backlash and she had to recall it and all that so he does hold everything to a very high standard so he re- or he released this palette called the Cremata palette like I said a palette full of metallics uh, I guess for eyeshadow and what have you um, and he received this like this like uproar of backlash from like people around the world saying that it was so insensitive and I, I didn't understand it when I was just seeing the tweets I was like what is this about so I went in and looked further on Twitter and what have you and uh, people were freaking out basically because of what's going on at the minute with the coronavirus and all that. And I guess there's a lot of people like, you know, who weren't able to give like their family members or their dead like proper like traditional burials or whatever. And a lot of people like had to be cremated or whatever. So everyone was like, oh my God, you know, Jeffrey, how insensitive that you made a palette called cremated. Um, 
while like everyone's family has to be cremated or whatever and I was like that is a reach that is a reach people have been being cremated since day dot um, but people were feeling some type of way about it Jeffrey kind of went on and defended himself saying oh no like cremated is like a new word a new term that me and my friends use like <laughs> like he was definitely pulling out of his hole but he was like oh bitch I'm cremated <laughs> no he such bullshit um But to, uh, that was interesting enough to me just to see how people would just like love to look and react to anything. But like people, I mean like your grandma could have been getting cremated anyway, you know? A lot of people get cremated. So like suddenly now cremated is now like a, a sensitive word. No, it wasn't. wasn't really doing anything for me. There was nothing really else that I can think of in the world of celebrity that was giving me any kind of vibes lately. Oh, um, I remember being on Instagram, was I think it was last night, <laughs> and Khloe Kardashian posted a, <laughs> she posted a photo and she was like, oh, what, what, what do you guys think of my, <laughs> of my new dark hair? <laughs> and she had a, the bitch had a whole new face, like a whole new face. And it said nothing about her. She was like, guys, and now to be fair, she did, yes. She had went from like a platinum blonde to a slightly darker blonde. And she was like, guys, what do you think about my new hair? And the bitch had a new face, new nose, new lips, new cheeks. I was like, this is, this is just getting ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> and you know what, whenever I see, especially like the Kardashians, for sure, the Kardashians are like a group of people who took the face that they were born with as just like a suggestion, you know? And they built on it from there. It was like the face that they were born with was a light suggestion. Um, and look, and I'm all for it. I am all for people doing the, the cosmetic surgery, the plastic surgery, whatever. I'm all for it, you know, live and let live. If I had Kardashian money, for sure, I'd probably get a few things done myself. Um, but I also do think it's so sad. Uh, and again, like, I'm, I'm all for it. I support people doing it. Um, but I do think it's so sad. Like, I definitely think it is one of, like, uh, humanity's greatest weaknesses is is the longing for beauty and is our own vanity. Our own vanity is just like such, like I, I imagine for anybody listening to this, vanity is one of the main causes of pain in your life. Like be it emotional pain, what have you, like that feeling to, to look beautiful and to fit into what is, I guess, considered societally beautiful or whatever. I guarantee you that is one of the most painful things in your life. And yeah, we all like to dress it up as in like, oh, do what makes you feel beautiful or whatever. But the the energy and and the effort that we, and the lengths that we go to to achieve anything remotely close to what is valued as beauty. I mean, it's fucking painful, isn't it? And I think of all the time, all the, the hundreds and thousands of hours of your life, you've sat there just feeling like a piece of shit because you're not as beautiful as somebody else. And I mean, it's true when you look around, the world does value beauty, 100%. Beauty is, it's an extremely powerful currency in our world, 100%. I mean, beautiful people just get treated better and we want to we, we want to treat them better like like trust and believe if I am a juror if I'm called to jury duty and like the over the the evidence is overwhelming that this guy you know like butchered his entire family but I look up at the stand and he's like six foot five blonde blue eyes cheekbones ripped stunning big fat cake booty I'm going to be like guys I don't know 
I don't know if he did it. And there could be pictures of him holding holding the knife standing above the family. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so yes, Chloe Kardashian, new face. I'm over it. You know what did, uh, uh, this is an even celebrity, but you know what did piss me off today? Actually, again, just some small, a few, few more housekeeping notes before we get into the body of the podcast. Um, I saw people on Twitter sharing um, the kind of like marriage referendum uh, memories, you know, like whatever on Twitter, just like, because I guess it's like, what is it like a, a year, a couple of years anniversary now since um, the legalization of same-sex marriage and all that. So people are sharing like their memory or memories of the marriage referendum. And I saw a video circulating of Leo Varadkar, you know, Ireland's proud gay Taoiseach. Um, and I think it was the video back in 2009 of him in the doll, you know, saying that like same sex couples shouldn't be um, allowed to adopt kids and all that. And it's like, you know, a kid should have a mother and a father and all that. Let me tell you something. A kid who is wasting away in an orphanage or foster care would be fucking happy to have anybody who would love them. So to the whole like, a child needs a mother and father. No, a child needs someone who will love them. Full stop. Plenty of children out there have, have, perfectly healthy mother and fathers who have done nothing for their kids so don't don't start with that but it was just like it's such a he's, he is such a slimy rap bastard to me as Leo Varadkar because I, I was you know reading into it and reading like the tweets underneath or whatever and people were saying like back as um at the time when the um like polls and stuff were coming in saying you know that there was going to be actually a big massive um movement in support of marriage referendum or in the marriage referendum when Leo Varadkar saw that the, that the vast majority was going with the gays and with the LGBT community he then flipped the script um and was like suddenly oh my god give everybody a child um in the same way I'm sure he did it uh, now I could be wrong correct me if I'm wrong oh you can't um but didn't he do the same thing with the um with the abortion referendum and he was like I'm very against abortion I'm very against abortion and all that and then again when the polls came out showing that like the vast majority were in favor of um bodily autonomy for for women in Ireland he was like yeah I've always been a big fan of abortion you get an abortion um so I don't know he just seems like such a slimy rap bastard to me and mm, that were the, they, those were like the three big things in the news or in at least in pop culture that had any bit of interest for me this week. Again, nothing special. Quarantine is really slowing the place down. And what I will say, one more thing about quarantine, like whatever, I am a, I'm a nice solitary person. I can do it on my own. Like, so I haven't been cracking up just yet. But what really gets to me is the fact that now my entertainment, my sources of entertainment are taking a hit. Because when I'm looking at like, you know, I, I like to follow a lot of um, reality shows. Like I'm a big Bravo fan. You know, I follow like all the Real Housewives, Vanderpump Rules, that kind of thing. But now, you know, at the end of the season, the franchises then, um, after the season finale airs, the franchises will come on and do like a three-part reunion. Um, and now all the reunions are after being done by, they're being done via Zoom. And it's just, it, it's absolute shite. Let's get into the first mind popper of this week's episode. The first mind popper that I have in store is cannibalism. Cannibalism, we all know what it was. Like we've seen it in pop culture. We've seen it in the Hannibal Lecter films. It's people eating people, bitches eating bitches. Um, and I guess it's probably 
one of the, if not the most taboo things in human culture. And I mean, it's, it's happened all the time. You know, we've seen it in what we've seen it in like serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer. We've seen it in kind of like a ritualistic way, you know, throughout history in all parts of the globe or what have you. Um, a lot of countries, you know, in the last couple of hundred years, like in the Ukraine, when they had an awful famine, you know, a lot of people turned to cannibalism because I guess they were faced with no choice. But one of the most um, incredible stories regarding cannibalism occurred on October 13th in 1972. Now, a lot of you may have heard of this and may not be kind of like completely familiar with the story. You know, this story did go on and launched um, a lot of like film, ad- film adaptions and books. Um, but it is the story of um, the flight from Uruguay, the Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, which basically was a chartered flight, which I guess had like a rugby team on it. Um, and I had like a rugby team and I guess like their family and like some medical students and the doctors and obviously the staff on board. But they were traveling from Uruguay and they were bound for Santiago, Chile. Obviously, their flight never made it. They were flying over and I guess going from A to B, you have to cross over like the Andes, the mountains. Um, and somewhere along the way, like they're not really sure exactly what happened. But one of the pilots had made a massive fuck up. One of the pilots thought that they were much further along in their in their flight than than what they were in reality. So the um, the pilot thinking that they were close, you know, to start descending because they thought that the airport in Chile was, you know, much much um, closer than anticipated. Um, it actually turns out that they really weren't that far along in the journey at all. So as the pilot, you know, made the aircraft come down to descend. It turns out that they were actually still over the the mountains. And so as he descended, he came down literally on top of a mountain. So two of the wings, the wings like, were clipped completely off. And the tail as well was clipped off the aircraft. So you really just had, I guess, like the bulk of the body of the aircraft sliding down a fucking mountain and bam, crashed into the glacier, the snow beneath. Because obviously it's very snowy. It's like a mountain ridge, you know, very high altitude, way above sea level. Um, and while a couple of people did die, you know, on the impact, like people were getting flung out of their seats, like people were blowing out the back of the plane and what have you. A lot of people did survive. A lot of passengers did survive. And what you have to remember as well is that on um, the Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, since it was a charter jet, like everyone knew each other. They were all teammates. They were close friends. They were families. They were lovers. They were um, colleagues, what have you. Um so the plane plummeted anyway, hit the ground. A lot of people died, but there was also a lot of survivors. Um, so the authorities and what have you, the aviation authorities, knew that the plane had gone down, obviously, because the plane never reached the fucking destination. Um, and they sent out search parties or whatever. But given the time of year, there was just so much snow, you know, like constant blizzards or what have you. And given that, you know, most airplanes are fucking white. Um... They couldn't see shit. They couldn't see anything. So after a while, they had to give up the search, presuming that all these people, you know, were dead. Um, and it was it was very interesting. So those that did survive, they they had extremely little food, right? Um, it, one survivor like recounts in one of his books that they had literally eight chocolate bars, a tin of mussels 
three small jars of jam, a tin of almonds, a few dates. Dates are those rotten fucking things that old women eat. So they had a few dates, um, some candy, some dried plums and several bottles of wine. But now given where they were, there was no like natural vegetation or animals you know, they couldn't go out hunting or like living off the land. It just wasn't possible. They were in a barren wasteland, literally, you know, so high up, you know, there was nothing alive. Nothing was growing. It was just, it was just too cold and the altitude was just, you know, way too high. But the the people, like the food had run, had run out on these people, the survivors of uh, Flight 571 so quickly. And there was no sign of help coming anytime soon. Um... So the group, as the one of the survivors recalls in the book, the group tried to eat parts of the airplane. They were getting so desperate. After a week, their, the little rations that they had had run out. Um, and so they started to eat parts of the airplane. Like they were like looking at the cotton inside of the seats and, and the fucking leather, you know, the leather from the seats, uh, which was obviously going to make them sicker, all the fucking chemicals and that and what have you. So on the 10th day, um, they learned from like a transitor radio that the search had been called off completely. They weren't doing it. Um, the aviation authorities back um, in Chile were like, we'll actually go looking for them in the summer. And this wasn't a rescue mission. This was to um, to recover the bodies. They were going to come back looking for them summer, obviously when the, when the snow had melted and the, the blizzards and that had kind of calmed down. So there was no hope for these people really getting rescued. Um so anyway, after, on the 10th day, the group found out that the search had been called off. So the group had made a pact. They came together and made a very difficult decision that others might consume their bodies in order to live. You know, with no, with no choice, the survivors gradually went on to eat the bodies of their friends, loved ones and co-workers. There was nothing that could be done. Um, and I, I'll give you a quote from one of the books of one of the survivors. Our common goal was to survive. What we lacked was food. We had long since run out of mere pickings we'd found on the plain, and there was no vegetation or animal life to be found. After just a few days, we were feeling the sensation of our own bodies consuming themselves just to remain alive. Before long, we would become too weak to recover from starvation. We knew the answer, but it was too terrible to contemplate. The bodies of our friends and teammates preserved outside in the ice and snow contained vital, life-giving protein that could help us survive. But could we do it? For a long time we agonised. I went out in the snow and prayed to God for guidance. Without his consent, I felt I would be violating the memory of my friends, that I would be stealing their souls. We wondered whether we were going mad even to contemplate such a thing. Had we turned into brute savages, or was this the only sane thing to do? Truly, we were pushing the limits of our own fear. And I guess the thing is, I mean, you have to remember, okay, these people are out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Currently, they're living in the body of the plane. You know, it's, it's, it's too cold to go venture anywhere. Like, people are dying. They're literally huddled in the plane um, for, for warmth and what have you. You know, they talk about how they were, like, building kind of, like, snow walls up against, you know, like, all the, the holes of the aircraft, you know, like, where the wings have been smashed off, the tail have been smashed off, the cockpit, the cockpit have been blown off. So they're, like, living, basically, in this hollowed-out tin can, you know, of, the, of a skeleton of an aircraft. And these people had gotten to the point of desperation where they, they were eating the fucking leather off their suitcases. Like, hello. Like, you're, you're hungry then. You're hungry. 
if you're going to eat the leather off your suitcases. So these people were pushed to the point of starvation. And I know it's hard for us to like sit and contemplate, like, could I eat someone? Could I eat another person? Which I'm go- we're going to ask that question later on in the podcast for sure. But to get to that point where you know it's either I'm going to eat someone or I'm going to die. Those are the only two options. So like like they said, they had they had made a pact, the group had made a pact that you know, if I die, you can eat my body. Um and I, 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 I that it's 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 a very big decision to make, you know. I don't know if I'd be that if I'd be that big of a person, but like if I die, you can eat my ass. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but of course they knew it was the only thing that they could do to survive. So the group survived by eating the flesh of the bodies. And like, keep in mind, like I said, they were eating their classmates, their close friends, th- their relatives. Um, there was a guy called Kanessa. He was, uh, he kind of, had, he was on the rugby team and he kind of taken a leadership role within the group of survivors. So Kanessa used um, broken glass from the aircraft uh, windscreen, I think it was. And he started cutting strips of, of the frozen flesh. And I guess like he kind of took the lead. He set the example by swallowing the first matchstick strip of flesh. And then it's just kind of like, is there, can you come back from cannibalism? Can you come back? Is that a point of no return? Do you lose your humanity when you eat another person? Um, And again, these people were pushed to the point where they had no fucking choice. But the story gets even more interesting. And I'll read another quote from another survivor. At high altitude, the body's caloric needs are astronomical. We were starving in earnest with no hope of finding food. But our hunger soon grew so voracious that we searched anyway. Again and again, we scoured the fuselage, which I guess is what they're, the term that they're using for the skeleton of the craft, the fuselage in search of crumbs and morsels. We tried to eat strips of leather torn from pieces of luggage, though we knew that the chemicals they'd been treated with would do us more harm than good. We ripped open seat cushions hoping to find straw, but found only in inedible upholstery foam. Again and again, I came to the same conclusion. Unless we wanted to eat the clothes we were wearing, there was nothing here but aluminium, plastic, ice and rock. So they were going to die unless they started eating each other. And at this point, they had started eating each other. They'd made the pact. They'd made the blood bond. You know, if one of them dies and no one murdered anyone. It was if you die of natural causes, you're going to get eaten. And everyone was kind of consensual with that. Not everybody would eat straight away, though. Um, a lot of people, because you should remember coming from where they were coming, they were coming from Uruguay, so they were all um, and going to Chile, so, which were both kind of like predominantly like Roman Catholic countries, um, strict Roman Catholic countries. So to, to do this, uh, for a lot of them must have been feeling like this would be damnation. You know, it was either die, I guess, honorably, if you want to call it that, or you know, commit to cannibalism, but, you know, potentially, I guess, secure their place in hell, you know, secure their place in eternal damnation. And that is what they were thinking. Um, But so what they would do anyway was they would dry the meat, the, the human flesh in the sun to make it more palatable. So remember, 
how they're eating this, okay? How the, the survivors of Flight 571, they weren't like creating like a fire or whatever and like cooking the meat like on a spit and everyone was just like having a jolly gay old time you know at the cookout you know at the bbq it wasn't like that like they were literally eating uncooked flesh uncooked flesh planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That they'd cut off with a bit of glass from the windscreen of the aircraft. Um... And I guess the whole thing was, is that like to make it more palatable is what they said. They would literally put the bits of human flesh out in the sun for it to dry and just make it slightly more edible. And they were initially, um, they were initially revolted. And of course, of, of course they were. They None of them had eaten human flesh before, but they, they were so revolted that in the beginning, the group could only eat you know, skin, muscle and fat from, from the bodies of, of, of their loved ones and their colleagues and what have you. But of course that ran out, you know. It's not like they had hit the jackpot and unlimited supply, you know. They had eaten all the skin off, off, off their loved ones. They'd eaten the muscle off their loved ones. They'd, they'd eaten the fat off their loved ones. So when that ran out, they had no choice, but they had to start eating the hearts of... Um, of, of the people they lost they had to start eating the lungs and they even had to start eating the brains um and i know that a lot of them talk a lot of the survivors talked about in, in some of their books that the only way they were able to kind of reconcile with this was because again like they were all roman catholics religious the only way they were able to reconcile with this was kind of using the whole um the comparison i guess to the to the body of christ and how we're eating the the blood of um jesus and and what have you so that made it easier for them to kind of reconcile their actions. But 17 days in and disaster struck again. Like I said, these people were living here for 17 days. They're in the Andes. It's snow constantly. Blizzards is absolutely freezing. They are living in the, in a simple shelter, basically, like I said, like a tin can. The, the, the remains of the aircraft. 17 days in and an avalanche struck and killed a further eight people. So the snow had, you know, forced its way in through their like a little tin can house that they were in. And I guess like asphyxiated, like choked the shit out of eight other survivors. Um, so, you know, these people were stuck now in the aircraft. There was eight less of them. They couldn't get out because they were physically bombarded in by the snow and their oxygen, their air started running out because of course they're all breathing in the same air and bitches be breathing out carbon dioxide as we know. Um, so what one of them did anyway was ended up getting like one of the poles from inside of the aircraft, the body of the aircraft and literally having to 
with great effort, punch a hole through, up through the aircraft and let air flow in again. So of course they were getting desperate. They were stuck in here. They, you know, weren't able to get access to the bodies that they had outside, you know, the, the, the other frozen bodies um, to consume. So eventually they did try and start a tunnel out of the aircraft on day 17. And with great effort again, they did, you know, break the surface to find out that there was a massive fucking blizzard, you know, and a blizzard bigger than anything that they'd seen since their, you know, previous 17 days in the middle of the fucking wilderness. Um... So they were like, fuck it, we have to go back down. We, ha- we, we have to stick it out. Um, so they ha- ended up having to eat the, the eight friends that they had just lost in the avalanche. Eight friends. The blizzard kind of died down after a while. You know, like more than half the people have been eaten at this stage. Um, and they're venturing out and they're seeing how far they can go. They really have no idea where they are. Um, and they venture out for a couple of days, have to come back. They're like fashioning um, shoes out of like the, the cushion stuffing for snowshoes, creating like visors, like glasses, you know, from bits of plexiglass to like avoid snow blindness and stuff. That's a thing, snow blindness. Um, and, they, and they kept coming back and eventually three of them did set out and literally had to hike up one of the mountains in the Andes, okay? One of the mountains in the Andes um without any gear whatsoever made it over the mountain um it took them days and days they obviously never thought they were they were coming back eventually did find uh, like a small village in Chile or whatever at least a small community um and did get help um and helicopters went and rescued the the small few survivors i think there was only like 14 survivors at the end um who 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 had survived um and they were out there eating each other in the wilderness unbeknownst to anyone for 72 days eating each other for 72 days they were stuck there eating each other of course you know it was big news when they came back absolutely massive news but the public turned on them very quickly turned on the survivors when they found out um that they had resorted to cannibalism even though they had no choice it was die or cannibalism you know, a lot of the public were like, die, you should have died. But the public eventually kind of came around to them, eventually kind of came around to them when, when when the survivors, you know, spoke about the pact that they'd made and that, you know, if I die, I, I, I want you to use my body. You know, that kind of a thing. And you know, what, what's even more bizarre than that tragic story, which is very interesting to see, I guess, what happens to human beings when they're pushed to the limits, you know, it was either cannibalism or die. Um, but what's actually, what's, it's sick, but it's interesting. Um, like I said, um, of course, um, the um, Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, the story of that went on to, you know, bring about loads of like TV adaptions, film adaptions, books, what have you. Um, one of the film adaptions that came from it was called Alive. Um and in 2011, there was uh, two Dutch TV hosts, uh, Dennis and Valerio, are their names, absolute roids, by the way. Um, one of them was obsessed with, with, with Alive, with, with the movie Alive that was obviously inspired from Flight 571, and he was, he was interested in it. And he said ever since he saw it, you know, what, something he couldn't get out of his head was this um, desire, or not desire, but I guess the, the questioning, like, what does human flesh taste like? Right? So this is fucked up. 
where the two of them, you know, obviously I guess they had like their own TV show. I guess they were like the Dutch Ant and Deck, if you will. Um, so the two of them, um, after like these movies came out or whatever, were so inspired that on their TV show, they had procedures done on camera um, where a surgeon had cut a bit of flesh from each of them, I guess from kind of like down by the abdomen and the buttock. Um, kind of like a, a postage, um, a post, like a stamp, a postage stamp sized, you know, chunk of flesh. They had like surgically removed from their bodies. Okay. Each of them. Then they went on their TV show and had a professional chef come on, right? And cook up in, in, in a pan with oil, their two chunks of flesh. And then, um, th- th- these two clowns, Dennis and Valerio sat down on camera and they each ate the other person's flesh like that is fucked up that is fucked up that's nasty like going on tv like the lengths people will go to they went down and they ate each other's flesh cooked like it was cooked yeah but they ate they ate each other's flesh like what what the fuck is that what the fuck is that that is some white nonsense (laughs) um but then again i mean i guess obviously when you when you read these stories like what can you do except be like well, what would I do in that situation? What would I do in that situation? Like, take a moment to think now while you're listening. If that was you and your loved ones on flight 571 and went down and it was either you die or you eat your loved ones, what do you do? I mean, I guess we'd all like to be like, no, of course I'm not going to eat my loved ones. I'd rather die. But, you know, how many of us have been to that point of starvation where it is life or death and it's right if I don't cook up grandma's ass um then I die you know so I I I don't know like sometimes I like was thinking about when I was when I was reading about flight 571 when I was doing research for the podcast it was like thinking right if it's my it was me and my friend group and the plane went down. Like, which one of my friends would I want to eat? If I had to eat them. Which ones would I eat if I had to eat them? I don't know, to be honest. Um, I have a friend, Kyle. I'd probably eat him. Um, because he, he's healthy. He's fit. Um, he's a good body. <laughs> oh, God. It's, a, it's a weird. So, I would probably eat him because he looks healthy. He looks like he would have some healthy meat. Um, and my friend, Kate... I had to pick one of the girls as well. I'd probably eat Kate because she got some big ass titties. Um, like big, big titties, really big titties. Um, which I think would provide like a lot of fat, like a, a lot of good fats, you know, like like nuts. Um, so I'd probably eat the two of them if I had to. Again, if I had to, it's not like I want to eat them, but I would probably eat them. I'd probably eat maybe Kyle's his arms. Uh, <laughs> His arms, because like I said, he likes to keep fit or whatever. So I would probably eat his arms and then I would eat Kate's titties. If I had to, if I had to. And if you guys are listening to this, like, don't take that in a bad way. Take that as, as a compliment of the highest regard, you know? Because I think you're both healthy, beautiful people. Um, and I think that out of all of our friends that your guys' bodies would offer me the most nutrition. So so don't take that in a bad way. Um, but again, like, you know, like, I'm also friends with, um, as you guys know, uh, Jenny and Lindsay from the Ickals. Um, So it did come into my head, I was like, right, if I'm on the, the flight, you know, 571 with Jenny and Lindsay, which one of those bitches do I eat? 
you know? Which one of them would want to be eaten? I feel like the two of them, neither of them. I feel like if they were dying, you know, out in the snow and they were like, Adam, Adam, don't eat us. You know, I feel like the two of them would be the people to be like, don't eat us. Um, but again, I mean, it's up to me if, if, if y'all dead, it's up to me if I'm going to eat y'all or not. Um, I don't know if I'd eat Jenny or if I'd eat Lindsay first. Um, I guess, you see, the thing about Lindsay is I feel like there wouldn't be a whole lot of meat on Lindsay. You know, she's like a very kind of like just petite, um, in nature. Um, uh, and she's very toned, you know, she, she's really fit or what have you. But I know that she is a fan of like Copperberg and like apple ciders. So I feel like she would taste of like Bulmer's berry, you know, which I think would take the sting out of the whole human flesh thing. Jenny, on the other hand, I don't know what she'd taste like. Um, but I'd say it would be delicious because the two of them are just so sweet. <laughs> like while I feel like Jenny... Um, obviously would have some supple meat on her body because I know that she's very into yoga and stuff. So that would be nice. But then again, I feel like, cause you know, she's like really into skincare and she has like flawless skin. So I feel like it would be like the aftertaste with Jenny would be like glossier, you know? Whereas with Lindsay, it would be like Bulmer's Berry. And I know which one I'm opting for. Of course, I'm going for the Bulmer's Berry. You know, and I think it would be just in the interest of everyone if if you people listening don't mention this conversation about the whole like are we eating Lindsay or Jenny um to them I feel like this would be better off if they did not know I think it would be just like an awkward conversation for me to have you know to them like yes I was discussing eating you bitches but obviously it was like in in a situation where it's either I'm gonna die or I have to eat one of y'all but again I I don't think this is something they need to hear this is a conversation about them not to them um but you know what, the thing is, I guess, as in, like, there's a whole craze um, in the last couple of years of people, like, eating placentas. Like, mostly, like, mothers eating their their, their own placentas. I'm sure one of the Kardashians did it. Um, and, I mean, I, I, I could eat placenta for sure, because don't they, like, grind the placenta down into, like, capsules? So you're basically taking them, like, I guess, like, vitamin pills, whatever. Like, I would definitely... I, I don't think I've any had of I'd have any reservations about eating placenta, even though that is an organ that comes from a woman's body, you know. But I mean, like, there's you know a, some researchers will say that there is a, a plateau of health benefits from from eating placenta, and others would say there's there's virtually none. But it's definitely something that I try. I definitely try placenta for sure. But again, is that not just like cannibalism? But we put a, a beautiful little you know, Western society bow on it. Um, and we're like, oh, we're no, we're not savages, you know, we're eating placenta, but it's in pill form. Um, so, I mean, like when you look at it, there is definitely modern aspects of cannibalism that we're all taking part in, or well, not all of us, but you know, at least it's, it's, it's popular and no one's batting an eye at it. I'd probably do it. Now, a, a brief tangent from that um because i know a lot of you have probably been spooked about like christ what happens the next time i'm going you know to the costa del sal and my plane goes down you know am i gonna have to eat a bitch well one thing to get over the fear of like any plane going down because i used to be terrified absolutely terrified of going going on planes ever since i was a child to up until like two years ago i was terrified of flying like I couldn't sit by the window. It just, it terrified me. I couldn't look out. Every, every bump, every, every jump, every bit of turbulence. I, I was freaked. You know, when you when you feel the plane kind of drop and go up, 
every second I, I was convinced that I was going to die. I was, I've never been able to enjoy a flight until last year. Last year, um, my buddy Cahill, he works, uh, he works for an airline. Um, so he was able to, and when you, when you work for an airline, sometimes you, you get passes like every year to bring your friends, I guess, basically to give them not free plane tickets essentially, but basically if there's for empty seats on a plane, you can bring them and all they have to do is like pay taxes. They have to pay the taxes of the flight. Uh, so he gets like a, a fixed number of passes every year for people. So he decided to take me and another friend to Miami baby yeah it was absolutely incredible but so obviously it's a long flight it was my first transatlantic transatlantic flight and I was shitting it because like you know, like I said I fucking I despised aeroplanes um absolutely terrified me and now to be stuck on one for what like nine hours I you know couldn't couldn't imagine a worser faith a worse faith um for myself but everything changed when we'd gotten to the desk you know where we show our tickets and what have you and they bumped the three of us up to first class when i am telling you the trick to getting over your fear of flying is traveling first class i'm not lying trust and believe me on that okay because you go in right you go in and there there's like two curtains on the right hand side is economy you know and to the left is which i've never obviously never been to the left is first class so we're boarding the plane we're boarding the jet um and the the air hosts are like yeah to the left to the left they're checking her tickets to the left <laughs> just like in that beyonce song to the left um and, and i turned around for one last fleeting glance at economy you know the life that i'd left behind and it was a fucking slum it was a fucking slum it looked like a fucking cattle mart and I knew that I could never travel economy again. I knew that. I mean, I've never been on. A, <laughs> I've never been on a plane since. Um, but I turned back and I was like, "Oh, those poor people! Those poor people! They are <coughs> essentially monsters. How do people live like that? You know, just sitting in nine hours in their own fucking filth with children. Oh, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. So I get in anyway." to first class I'm walking down the aisle it's more not not so much an aisle as it is a ballroom it's a ballroom they're taking me down a ballroom and there's an air host there and he's like welcome sir welcome can I show you to your, to your seat I was like oh please please show me to your, to your seat because you know when you're economy and it's just like it's a free-for-all like the air hosts are like ramming down with a trolley and it's either find a seat or get mowed down bitch you know there is no in between and they're and even like especially when you're trying to pull up your luggage and economy they just grab it and fuck it anywhere like you don't know where it's going to go um the first class let me tell you was just a different spiritual experience so um the guy showed me to my seat and he was like sir would you like champagne or orange juice uh, for reception before we fly champagne or more fucking orange juice i was being offered like back in economy you'd have to be on your hands and knees you know dying of malnutrition before you get a drop of water and when you get that drop of water it's coming in at like 20 euro um so this was uh, everything is all inclusive and first class by the by and all remember all we had to do is pay taxes for this so i was like oh give me the champagne and i was like also give me the orange juice you know, i'm gonna have a mimosa and he's like, very good, sir, very good. <laughs> Whatever accent I'm trying to do, I don't know. Let me just make one thing very clear. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to tell a story because everyone on that flight, working on that flight was 100% Irish. Like the bitch was from Derry. <laughs> so I don't know where I'm get, pulling this accent from. Um, so champagne reception, right? You're showed this like little booth 
is the best way I can describe it. It's like a big recliner chair. Um, and it has a control panel on it. A control panel. You know, like, the only thing you get when you go to the seats in economy is, like, in that, like, little netting on the seat in front of you. It's just, like, a little, kind of, like, laminated. which always has some crust left over from the person who was last there. That, like, a little lamination kind of sheet that shows, like, what to do when, when we're about to die, you know? Um, but but yeah, they don't got that in first class. In first class, right, so you're sitting on your seat, right? The control panel. Of course, this, this was a whole new world to me. There's buttons on the arm, right? So you press them. The seat gives you a full body massage. I mean full body massage. And you can pick the strengths. So like I'm sitting on this plane, you know, having, having my mimosa. Before even takeoff, I'm getting massaged. You know, I'm putting the massage down lower, lower, lower. You know, as in really, it hits everywhere. It hits everywhere. Um, that seat did things to my booty hole that has never been done before. That <laughs> oh my god, modern science is is beautiful. Um, so yeah, I was getting massage. I was having a mimosa. Right, the seat, no joke. And and to call it a seat it, it isn't doing it justice. It was like its own little cubicle. The seat went all the ways back. And when I say all the ways back, I meant a f- a full one eighty degrees. Right. So that it was a full bed. It was a full fucking bed on this flight. Lying 180 degrees. It's not like my legs were like shoved up against anything. I had all the room in the world. Honestly, I could I could have done whatever I wanted there. I could have taken up. A, I could have taken a salsa class in my cubicle. Um, you get like a full a, a duvet. A, a duvet. Okay. Better than the one that I had at home. Um, you have a beautiful duvet. Two pillows. Two beautiful um, full feather pillows. Um, you had a big like screen TV in front of you not like the little fucking blockia 360 that the the people in the slum uh, on the right hand side of the curtain were trying to watch their TV where you couldn't see absolute shit do you know you had a full fucking full fucking television um and then the staff would come around right they came around um with menus with menus asking us what we wanted for starter what we wanted for our mains and what we wanted for our dessert you're right because back in economy you know as in it's tinfoil it's something wrapped in tinfoil you don't want to know what it is but bam it's slapped down in front of you and it's like eat it or not we don't give a shit you know um i best believe the cabin crew ain't eating that shit um so anyway i put in my order for my um, main starter dessert they come down then and they prepare the table in your cubicle with st- uh, sterling silver cutlery, with proper plates uh, and all the shit with like napkins tied like fucking swans, okay? Um, drink whatever you want. They were like, what, what what, would you like to drink, sir? I was like, oh, give me a Bombay Sapphire, please, okay? So they come down with two little glass bottles of the Bombay Sapphire. They pour it for you. They come around with like a little bucket of ice. A little bucket of ice. Um, and lemons, a little bucket of lemons. And they drop it in. Oh my God, it was absolutely magic. And not, not one of those like little plastic bitch cups either. Do you know? Like back in the in the slum, in the right hand side of the curtain, you're drinking out of like one of those fucking red cups. Like you're in a fucking fraternity party, do you know? Not in first class. That's not how we do in first. Um... You're given like a proper like little gin glass, your ice, your premium vodka, or sorry, your premium gin. All right, I want to Bombay, but you could go up, you could do Hendrix and, and what have you. Um, so I was I was absolutely living the life. 
then they came around. They, they'd come around routinely, I'd say, every half hour. And they're like, hot towel, hot towel. <laughs> hot fucking towel, you know? Hot towel. I was like, oh, please. I would absolutely love a hot towel. So there's me flatting my ass 180 degrees while the seat is doing some dirty things to me, okay? I'm drinking my gin, which is it's, it's, it's doing wonders with whatever kind of altitude sickness I was having. It was giving me some unreal buzz. I, it felt like I'd taken a sleeper or a zani or whatever. Um... Some bitch was coming around throwing hot towels at me. Um, and then, like, I was like, how could this get any better? How could this get any better? And then someone came down. I was like, excuse me, sir. Excuse-. They were checking, was I awake? They were checking, do you know the way back and in the slum on the right-hand side? They don't check if you're awake. They're like, damn, bitch! Do you know? You're like, what? What? Are we going down? Do you know? Um, they're like, sir, sir. I was like, oh, Yes. They were like, just to let you know that um, we'll be serving afternoon tea soon. Afternoon fucking tea. Afternoon fucking tea. They came around with scones, coffees, like, oh, and a little, like, you know, you get like those, like, kind of like, um, what are they, those, like, silver, like, standing trays with, like, cucumber wedges and, like, feta cheese. And, oh, my God, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Um... And I, and I guess it's in those moments, so I was sitting down, like I said, I, my seat back up now, I was still getting massage. I got, I had a massage for the whole nine hours of the flight. Um, I was drinking my gin, I was picking away at these little nibbles, you know, that you get, that, that you deserve when you're in first class. When you're in first class, you just simply become a better person. And, and that's just the way it is. Um, and I remember looking out the window, down at like whatever, I guess the Atlantic Ocean, you know, we were so, so high up in the air. And I was like, like turned to the person sitting next to me I was like oh my god I was like I see whales and like dolphins you know jumping about in the water of course I was way too high I was just like up in the air to see shit you, you couldn't all you could see was blue um, but it was like the altitude and, and the gin and just obviously being treated like the upper class it makes you see the beauty in the world um, so I thought I was seeing all of these things you know it was that moment where I was sitting upright sipping on my gin you know picking away at my nibbles getting massaged you know, all the space in the world, looking out the window at the beautiful aquatic life, you know, hundreds of thousands of feet below. And I was like, if this plane went down right now, I'm totally okay with it because I have never been more comfortable in my entire life than I am right now. So if this plane was to plummet and explode on impact, killing absolutely everybody, um, hopefully those in economy first, so I could just have a few more seconds to enjoy the... um, I guess the indulgence of first class that I was totally fine and I'm not even saying this to be funny I had reached nirvana (laughs) I had reached inner peace uh, in that luxury in in that brief time I had I had just I had the epiphany I I realised what life was all about and it was about hot towels and gin and getting massages on your booty hole by some complicated machine And I realised right then and there that if the plane went down and we all died, I was totally okay with that. I was, I encouraged that. I encouraged that actually because I know nothing will ever be as good to me in my life as is travelling first class. And I guess it's a mind popper in itself. Travelling first class will blow your fucking mind. Because I I know a lot of people, a lot of you probably have travelled first class all the time. But I'm a broke bitch, you know. I don't got money. Um, so this for me was just a whole new world. It was a, it was an insight. It was a looking behind the curtain, if you will, of how the, how the 1% live. And let me tell you, it's incredible. 
It's incredible. And I knew right there and then that if I died, I'm totally okay with it because I'm at peace. And that is how I got over my fear of flying. Well, shit. I've gone way on in time. I just got too into it, you know, recalling my story about first class and like, you know, delving into like the human psychology aspect of could you really eat ass? Um, like if my jet went down, did I mention I flew first class? <laughs> if my jet went down, because you know me, I'm, I'm a big eat the rich person. So I think I would have done just fine. But I had a whole other mind popper prepared. But I guess we just throw it back into the vault and we'd explore it in a later mind poppers episode what i want to say before i do leave you bitches go is that i'm i'm very grateful for the people that have been leaving reviews on the podcast and typing out reviews on apple podcasts um i'm really surprised that and obviously delighted with the amount of people listening like the podcast is doing such great numbers for you know a podcast that's only been out what not even five weeks five episodes in like i said time flies when you're a piece of shit um, I'll be back next week obviously next Saturday with a whole plateau of dark taboo nasty and sexy mind poppers for the mind poppers podcast in the meantime stay woke hey it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out Quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 